Welcome to the Think Yourself Healthy Podcast, where you meet the intersection of mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Heather Duranja, founder of Nutrition Vixen, registered dietitian, nutritionist, personal trainer, and cognitive behavioral specialist. I'm a mother, author, self-improvement junkie, and recovering perfectionist turned professional half-asser. Each week, I'll be bringing on a guest or a topic that will help you go from surviving to thriving. Are you with me? All right, here we go with today's episode. All right, on today's episode, I have Andrea Hardy, who is a registered dietitian and Canada's gut health expert. She is on a mission to communicate credible scientific evidence about gut health and digestive disorders. She shares her message with clients and colleagues in a way that is easy to consume and, and inspires sustainable action. It's time to strip the jargon and fear-inducing language from our nutrition messages and inspire connective communication in healthcare. Andrea likes to say her goal is to get people to take nutrition a little less seriously, which may come as a surprise coming from a dietitian. Through humor, she injects fun into her science-based media messages. After all, poop jokes aren't her favorite kind of jokes, but they are a solid number too. <laughs> that is so awesome. Um, so hello, Andrea. Thank you so much okay. for being here today. I appreciate you taking the time. I'm super, super excited to talk everything gut health. Um, this is such a trendy, trendy thing, right? Like mm -hmm. you know, for you and I, We've both been promoting gut health for a while, and yeah. now it seems to be everywhere, like literally uh -huh. turn. It's all about gut health, probiotics. So I'm excited to have an opportunity to dive in today and talk about um, some of these, these things that are trending. So thank you. Yeah, I find everybody, I'm calling it microbiomania. Everyone's so interested in their gut microbiome, but you know, we got to still stick to what the science is saying and not go off the deep end. Right. So finding that balance there is really important. Right. So tell me what led you down this path of really being um, interested in gut health and making that a specialty that you focused your business on? For sure. So uh, when I first started practicing as a dietitian, I did work in a clinic that specialized in hepatology and gastroenterology. And so I kind of worked through a variety of different fields. And when I started my business, it was that combination of where I had started as a dietitian and then also personal interest. Um, I myself have irritable bowel syndrome uh, that started from what I think is post-infectious. So I picked up a bug and ever since then, my gut has never been the same. Mm -hmm. And so through my own personal journey and the skills I've developed, plus my career, that it was the perfect mix to be able to help a population that really didn't have a lot of support when I first started out in terms of nutrition help. There wasn't a lot of great stuff out there that people could rely on to help manage their symptoms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you have personal experience, um, which I think is important when you know trying to help individuals who are suffering because you can put yourself in their shoes and know exactly firsthand how challenging it can be and what they're actually feeling and then be able to make 
realistic recommendations based off of not only your own experiences, but your knowledge and background that is so um, immense. So that's awesome. That yeah, is- it's kind of that, that perfect blend for people because they understand, for example, an irritable bowel syndrome, we may use the low FODMAP diet, but when I first saw those lists of what to avoid, mm-hmm. I, I laughed. I was like, there's no way people can do this. But you know, through my dietitian skills and my ability to understand how to prepare food and grocery shop, um, there's a lot of really practical ways we can teach people to do that. Right. I think for me, I started understanding the importance of gut health in 2012. So um, in 1993, I got diagnosed with a um, autoimmune disease related to kidney function. And um, that led me on my path, you know, to where, how, why I became a dietitian. But it wasn't until 2012 that I really understood the importance of gut health and how that was having an impact on my symptoms that were associated with autoimmune disease. Um, it took me to get diagnosed with cancer to really understand how gut health played a role in the whole picture when it came to our immune system and inflammation and all of that stuff. So can you explain to the audience what the gut microbiome is? I think there's a lot of confusion. So what is it? For sure. So the gut microbiome is uh, the bacteria, viruses, and fungi that reside in your gut. And so when we think of the gut microbiome, we usually only think of bacteria because that's where predominantly the research has been. But in reality, it's bacteria, viruses, and fungi that all work together. So there's still a lot we actually have to uncover about their function before we can really start making really specific recommendations about it. Mm -hmm. And so those bacteria have a variety of different functions in our gut. We thought at first, you know, they were just playing a role in digestion. Um, But we now realize that they play a role in communication with our nervous system, uh, with our immune system, uh, in hormone production, and so much more. And so really taking care of those gut bacteria so that they can take care of you is a message I know both you and I share. Absolutely. So is all gut, is all bacteria bad? Yeah. So all bacteria is not bad, which is kind of the assumption. Uh, You know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties where it was like, you know, hand sanitizer was starting to come out and everything was clean and like, don't play in the mud. And so all bacteria long story short, is not bad. In fact, um, even bad bacteria is not necessarily bad. It may still have a function in our gut. And what we're seeing is, is bacteria is really a community or an ecosystem, and everything has to work together and be in balance to really function as it should. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when those things get unbalanced, we get maybe more pathogenic bacteria increasing in the gut and less good or beneficial bacteria decreasing in the gut when we see um, changes occur or negative health outcomes occur. Okay. That's awesome. Great explanation. So I want to ask you a question around antibiotic use and gut health. So talk to me about that. Can you maybe clarify um, how antibiotics play a role in terms of gut health, what they, the, the pros and the cons. For sure. So 
Um, of course, again, back in the 80s and 90s, when you were sick, what'd you do? You'd go to the doctor and get antibiotics. Uh, and we now see in the Western world that overuse of antibiotics has absolutely played a role in, our in the change in the gut microbiota. And so now I've seen kind of a swing to the other direction where people are actually terrified of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. But what we want to kind of do is find that middle ground because antibiotics absolutely do save lives and we really want to have judicious use of those. So for example, um, I had a vaccine a couple months ago and I ended up getting cellulitis on the back of my arm. Mm -hmm. I absolutely needed antibiotics. Otherwise, you know, before antibiotics existed, I may have had to have my arm amputated. Right. Uh, so in that case, antibiotics was essential. But antibiotics for, you know, a sniffling nose or just feeling generally unwell with flu and cold season um, definitely isn't the most appropriate use of antibiotics. So the person who is, um, I had cellulitis on my face, by the way. Oh, that's the worst, hey? Frightening. Um, but for the person who does need to take the antibiotic, because it is something significant like cellulitis, what would you recommend to them um, to put their fears to rest in terms of being able to to, you know, take care of their gut and make sure that they're doing everything they can to preserve the good and promote the bacteria, the good bacteria. Yeah. So most antibiotics indiscriminately kill bacteria. That's the purpose. Uh, the broader spectrum, the more likely it is to actually um, manage the condition you have, unless you know the exact bacteria. And so when we take back or antibiotics orally, it can reduce and change the population of bacteria in our colon, as well as our throughout the entire intestine, but colon's most researched. And uh, so what we see typically is people's gut microbiotas are actually able to bounce back fairly readily. So we perturb them with the antibiotics, there's a change, and most people can bounce back. However, um, there are times where your gut microbiota may not recover as well. So there are things we can do to support a healthy gut microbiota. One of them would be probiotics. So there is good evidence to suggest that taking a probiotic alongside an antibiotic can help to um, reduce antibiotic-associated diarrhea and may help to maintain the bacterial community you have in your gut. But you want to make sure that you choose the right kind of probiotics. Only certain uh, strains have been associated with benefit. Okay. The other big thing is making sure you don't take them at the same time because the antibiotic will kill the bacteria and the probiotic. Okay. So uh, I there's a lot of mis there's a lot of miscommunication around probiotics. People are very very confused. Mm -hmm. What would you recommend for the individual who is interested in getting, you know, starting to take a probiotic? What are some tips that you would have for them when it comes to selecting a product? For sure. So typically most of the research around probiotics has specifically been uh, with particular conditions. So if you're looking to manage IBS or vaginal health or reduce traveler's diarrhea or um, even reduce your risk of the common cold, um, what you want to do is make sure that you choose a probiotic with the right strain. And the best way to do that is checking with your dietitian, doctor, or pharmacist. Mm -hmm. A tool that exists that's meant for healthcare practitioner use is probioticchart.com uh, or .ca, dependent if you're in the U.S. or Canada. 
And so this, on an annual basis, reviews all of the literature around different probiotic strains and the indications for use. It's not very general public friendly, but it's something you can bring with you on the app or on the website to your dietitian, doctor, or pharmacist and say, hey, can you help me with this? Mm -hmm. And your, your healthcare provider will be more than happy to do that. Um, in general, though, probiotics for general health, I like to more focus on actually getting in prebiotics, which uh, is basically fuel for the bacteria that already exist in your gut. We know that consuming more prebiotic-containing foods is associated with better gut health than, let's say, taking a probiotic or adding an extra bacteria. We want to take care of the bacteria that are already there. And so when I say prebiotics, basically these are food, uh, they're fuel for the bacteria in your gut. And typically there are fiber containing foods. However, there's some things that are, um, you know, being considered as uh, prebiotics as well, such as phytochemicals, antioxidants, and omega-3s. Mm-hmm. So really when it comes down to it, uh, we're just kind of getting back to the basics, actually, with gut microbiota science is eating a variety of different foods. So variety is one of the biggest indicators of gut health, eating adequate fiber, and eating uh, you know, brightly colored fruits, vegetables, and healthy fats. Excellent. Great advice. So pick three foods that are your absolute favorite for gut health. Yeah, so I am a huge fan of salmon uh, from the omega-3 perspective. Uh, Being that I'm in landlocked Alberta, I find the majority of my patients don't get enough omega-3s in their diet, and I'm guilty of it too. Uh, So incorporating more of those in is really key. Uh, Other favorite foods, I'm a huge fan of prunes for digestive health Mm -hmm. uh, because you have the fiber in there and you have the phytochemicals. So specifically, anthocyanin is a type of phytochemical that has been associated with an increase of good bacteria in your gut. Um, Most of the research is done in animals. However, we're pretty convinced that it plays a role in the human gut microbiota too. Awesome. Um, other foods is, uh, I'm a big fan of fermented foods. So things like yogurt and kefir, um, while they may not be considered probiotics, just kind of depending on the strains and the amounts of bacteria in those products, mm-hmm. I do like to encourage people to introduce different types of bacteria into their gut because um, they will still have some action in there and will produce beneficial compounds that will likely have influence over our health. More research is needed, but I am quite convinced that they'll likely be shown to have a positive impact. Awesome. So what are your thoughts about kombucha? Yeah, so kombucha is typically fermented with yeast. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it would be considered a fermented food. I do typically find that, you know, some patients find benefit with it or enjoy drinking it. Biggest thing is just making sure you're choosing a kombucha that isn't super high in sugar because there are some on the market that do have a lot of added sugars. Um, And the fact that, you know, some of these fermented foods can still contain things that cause gut distress. Mm-hmm. So some people will notice kombucha causes a lot of bloating and gas that can be from the carbonation and also some of the fermentable carbohydrates that exist in it. Mm-hmm. So it's still something I recommend people enjoy in moderation, 
Um, and it is fun to make at home if that's something you enjoy doing. Yeah. Great advice. I think that, um, you know, with, with all of the trends out there uh, around gut health, kombucha is one of those things that people have really jumped on the bandwagon. And personally, I feel like they're over consuming them, which are having negative impacts on their overall gut health. Uh-huh. It's very acidic, right? So, yeah. mm-hmm. And so uh, a lot of confusion. Um, I have, you know, clients that will come to me and when we're reviewing their diet history, we find that they're having three, you know, 16 ounce kombucha servings a day. And when we look at like sugar, the added Mm -hmm. sugars that are in that, and then like you mentioned, the carbonation and some of the other fermentable stuff, um, it's contributing to the gas and bloating that they're experiencing, but they're taking it, they're drinking it because they think that this is going to manage the gas and bloating. So Yeah, it's pretty funny. More bacteria isn't necessarily better orally. So, you know, stick to, I usually say like, you know, one cup a day. Yeah. So great advice. Again, like you mentioned, really, it's so much more simple than we try to make things, especially when it comes to nutrition, getting back Mm -hmm. to the basics is so important. And that's something that we just completely take, you know, for granted that really it's, it's, taking it a step back. We don't have to um, take extremes in order to be healthy and preserve our gut health. Um, Just getting back to the basics, like you mentioned. Um, So what is the role between health and disease when it comes to gut health? For sure. So science is really working hard to explore and elucidate this. And interestingly, a lot of the research is looking at populations that haven't been westernized as opposed to populations, of course, like North America that obviously have been westernized for a long period of time. And so what's interesting is, is um, where you live, what you eat, and what you've been exposed to really shapes your gut microbiota. And um, so in Western society, we see a lot of different autoimmune type diseases, a lot of allergies, a lot of conditions we don't typically see in populations that aren't westernized. Mm -hmm. And so they're starting to understand how the gut microbiota may actually be a driver of some of those diseases. And so we think that a loss in abundance of bacteria, different communities of bacteria, or how our bacteria function as an ecosystem actually influences the risk of developing those types of diseases. So um, genetically speaking, you may carry a gene to be predisposed to a specific condition. So that's, you know, your genetics, but your environment is shaped by your gut microbiota. So we say genetics loads the gun, environment pulls the trigger. And so changes in that gut microbiota changes Um, your immune function, uh, how your immune system recognizes different things and ultimately can turn on and off those genes that may put you at risk of autoimmune conditions. Um, Yeah. So that would be, you know, from the autoimmune perspective, we also know chronic diseases driven by the gut microbiota. The challenge right now is figuring out that is it, did the chicken come first or did the egg come first? Mm -hmm. And so is the gut microbiota changing because the disease is there or did the change in the gut microbiota drive the disease? Mm-hmm. Um, for example, an inflammatory bowel disease, we think it's a combination of both. Okay. Um, 
So taking care of that gut bacteria can really um, possibly, hopefully, influence trajectory of disease development over the course of our lives. Okay. So how does stress play a role with gut health? Uh, so stress is really interesting. We know it drives changes in the gut microbiota. Um, a stressed out gut will often experience a change in population, a change in abundance, and then of course a change in function. And so our gut microbiota uh, interacts with our nervous system and changes hormone secretion, things like serotonin, um, which can then change our mood, which can then precipitate more stress. Mm -hmm. And so interestingly, there's some really great studies that are looking at the role probiotics play in anxiety, for example, and the role eating enough prebiotics play in developing and managing anxiety. And time and time again, a lot of the research shows us that it's more the prebiotics that influence disease and disease management, as opposed to adding in those probiotics. So we really got to just take care of the bacteria already there. That's awesome. What a great thorough explanation. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Do you find um, with, I, so you, you have IBS yourself, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what kind of things do you have to personally do to manage your IBS um, efficiently? For sure. So I like to say diet's kind of like a Band-Aid solution okay. um, or dietary intervention from, for example, a low FODMAP perspective. So that's one piece of things. And then, of course, taking care of your gut health or your gut microbiota is the other piece of things. Mm -hmm. And then stress and medication management also play a role. So for me, stress is one of the primary drivers of my IBS now. And so if I'm able to manage my stress, I'm much more able to eat kind of all the foods I want uh, without too many symptoms. But as my stress increases, I may have to pay more attention to the types of foods I eat. So um, FODMAPs that bother me are fructans and mannitol. And so I can't go buck wild with the mushrooms too uh -huh. many days in a row. Okay. Um, other triggers for me would be fat and alcohol. So those are things I have to watch as well. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, stress is kind of the big one. So I've spent a lot of times working on mindfulness as well as interoception. So learning to kind of tune into what my body's doing when that stress response occurs mm -hmm. and learning how to build safety in my body so that it doesn't trigger crazy gut symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, so that's definitely something that I found very helpful. So as a dietitian, um, do you find that it's, okay, so from my personal experience, when I went to school, stress mm -hmm. wasn't something that we really were taught. We weren't taught about the stress response and the physiological nature and how it impacts our digestive tract. Mm -hmm. So we're in that state of stress and our, you know, our sympathetic nervous system is turned on and our parasympathetic nervous system is shut down, we shut down our ability to um, rest and digest efficiently. Mm -hmm. So what do you think as a dietitian our role is in helping to educate individuals about the impact stress has on our gut specifically? 
Yeah, I think dietitians play a very key role. In fact, myself, my staff have all taken additional mindfulness training so that we can educate our patients on it. Um, I like to say that the stress management piece is often more important than the food. And so we play a really pivotal role in that. I know ultimately there's still a lot of stigma around working with therapists too. So I think dietitians play a really important role in explaining that the brain and the gut are highly connected. And if we can learn how to shape how that response occurs, then we can manage your symptoms better. Instead of being reactive to them, we can be proactive. Wow. And so we actually have a psychologist in our team that works with our digestive health patients to teach them those skills. So it's very integrated for us, luckily. Mm -hmm. um, but dietitians need to start with the basics on talking about stress management. What sorts of positive coping behaviors do you have? What sorts of negative coping behaviors do you have? How does your body respond to that situation? And can we learn some really easy basics about tapping into that parasympathetic nervous system and reducing that fight or flight response? Yeah, I think I, I absolutely love what you guys do. I think it's so vital. Um, the work you guys are doing is just absolutely amazing. Your team is so talented. Anyone who has an opportunity to work with you is very lucky and very blessed. Um, I think that we need to really rethink the approach that we take when it comes to our health. <laughs> and stress management is definitely the number one thing that is overlooked, especially with um, when it comes to reducing our risk of chronic disease, but also with weight management and having the ability to lose weight. So yeah. when you have clients come to you and they're wanting to maybe uh, lose weight, improve their gut, do you find a lot of resistance from them when it comes to we have to start with stress management before we can dive into the nutrition? Yeah, I think what's interesting is, is you know, a lot of people leave our visits and they're like, whoa, that was really different than what I expected. Right. Um, but I think once they understand the why of it um, and explaining to them, you know, this may make you feel uncomfortable. Discomfort is normal when talking about our stress response. Um, usually we, we can create some buy-in there uh, and really tying it back to what their priorities are. So, you know, if their number one goal or number one priority is to manage abdominal pain, well, this is exactly how we're going to do it and this is why it's going to work. Um, if their number one thing is to manage their bloating, you know, this is what, how we're going to do it and this is why it's going to work. So really tying it towards, um, you know, their reasons for showing up is a really great place to start. Right. I love it. Um, I think that, you know, in my personal experience, when I have clients come to me and they're wanting to lose weight, they're wanting to manage their symptoms that are associated with their gut health. Um, there's a lot of resistance and intimidation of actually taking that action step to seek the help because they're fearful that they're going to have to get rid of all of the foods that they absolutely love. They think that it's going to be, you know, something very challenging. And so what I have found in my practice is like you, clients leave going, wait a minute, this is totally different than what I thought it was going to be. So what advice would you have for anyone out there who is struggling and intimidated or scared to mm. help working with a professional like yourself or myself? 
Yeah. I find a lot of patients come to me a little bit disempowered and being used to being, you know, just told what to do or told to learn to live with it or whatever. But I think a really unique skill dietitians have is like, we're here for you. So you get to tell us what you need from us and we're going to work within that. Mm -hmm. And as we build our relationship, we may challenge you a little bit, challenge some of your, um, you know, systems of belief or challenge, you know, some of those barriers that exist, but we have to build that relationship first. And so you really do get to guide where we go with things. Um, and so I think that really is actually what makes dietitians really special and unique is we a lot of times do have these really cool counseling skills that can meet you where you're at as opposed to this top down, I'm going to tell you what to do approach. Right. Yeah. Of course, there's those patients that like to be told what to do. Um, and that's something we kind of explore too. Some patients, I find it's generational. So like my baby boomers are like, you know, just give me the step-by-step instructions uh-huh. and the millennials want the like, okay, but like what comes at the end and then let's work backwards. So, right. So I'm going to segue into leading off of that. What makes a dietitian the expert when it comes to um, helping individuals with getting where they want to go when it comes to their overall health, their gut health, you know, all mm. of it. So what is the difference between a dietitian and the social media influencer who, you know, prices right. and weight loss? Absolutely. So I think like ultimately the biggest thing is our science background and where dietitians really shine and something I'm really passionate about is that knowledge translation. So I see so much stuff on social media that I'm like, that study was in rats and it was poorly designed and the statistics weren't that great. Mm -hmm. Um, And an influencer may read an abstract and think they've done research. So dietitians at at the very minimum have a bachelor's degree and they have those skills in research and science interpretation. So they're going to give you a really moderate approach in terms of, you know, where the evidence is at. And if we're kind of moving towards evidence that maybe isn't so strong, we're going to talk about risk benefit with you. We're not going to give you this message of like, this is the answer to all your problems and I did it, therefore it must work. Um, It's let's look at it from a whole perspective and actually figure out, is this worth it? What's the risks? What's the benefits? What's the expected outcomes? Mm -hmm. So I find influencers are really good at like selling the end results, but it's, it's not necessarily always rooted in good or even safe data. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think also taken into consideration the training around the counseling piece that, you know, mm-hmm. incorporated in our curriculum as uh, dietitians. That's the other core piece is really understanding human behavior and what the barriers are and how to set goals that are going to be realistic for that person for where they're actually at and what, what they're willing to do. And so when, um, people, you know, purchase a meal plan or purchase some sort of program online and they do it, but they don't get the results that they're looking for, um, that can be very frustrating, right? For Mm -hmm. consumer. And so I think, um, you know, when, when people ask me the question, well, can you just write me a meal plan or just give me a list of foods to eat? 
it literally is like stabbing myself in the heart. It's so painful to have to hear. So um, what is your perspective on that? How do you- yeah, Absolutely. Um, the reality is, is 95% of people really don't have the suitable personality for meal plans. So when somebody asks for a meal plan, it's like, what are you actually asking for? Is it time? Is it help with planning? Is it actually understanding what you need to eat or what you can eat? Is it taking the think out of actually planning and executing? Um, so really actually understanding the pain point so that we can solve it. Because I guarantee you, if I give you a meal plan, um, you're not going to stick to it. Or maybe you'll stick to it for one week because you're highly motivated and then that motivation will fall off. Um, I would never want to cook you know, seven plus new recipes a week either. So why can't we work with things you already know how to cook, things that you're confident in doing, skills that you're competent in, like frying versus baking versus whatever, um, and then making small tweaks and changes to actually make it work for you so it's sustainable. Right. Yeah. I think what yeah. is interesting kind of tying that back to gut health is, is like, we know from the research, short-term changes will not have a good impact on gut health. Mm -hmm. We want to focus on long-term, sustainable, steady change. Right. And that's really you know, what dietitians are good at, is not this crazy 360 overhaul, but making small, meaningful changes that actually are sustainable for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. That's, it's such a core piece that I think a lot of individuals miss. Um, Personally, I feel dietitians have gotten a bad rep that, you know, we're the food police, we're the, the people who tell them what they can and cannot have, and we judge every single thing that goes into their mouth. And my experience is so different. Um, that's not what we're taught. And speaking with other dietitians like yourself, you know, you just um, validate that even more that really... Um, there is a stigma around what dietitians do and a misconception about how we can help. So I appreciate you taking the time to articulate that. Um, you, you did such a beautiful job of explaining what dietitians can do and um, what makes us different than mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, dietitians are awesome. Yeah. I'm biased, but for real though, like the amount of patients that have been to a variety of different wellness professionals or taken things online, I think what they walk away from our appointments with, and I'm sure yours too, is like kind of the sense of relief that something's actually, you know, doable as opposed to like, oh, well, I got to stick to this. And if I don't, then I failed. Well, if you failed, you know, did you fail or did the plan fail? Yeah. So Figuring yeah. that out with them is really important. Yeah, that's awesome. So do you have any advice, anything you'd like to offer the listeners who are struggling right now and feel like they've tried everything and nothing has worked? What would your advice be to them? Yeah, so my biggest thing is, is individualized care and digestive health is so important. So if you can find a dietitian in your area that specializes in that, that would be my number one tip is to really customize it to you. Yeah. Um, the other thing to consider is, is when you're looking for advice online, you do want to find it from a credible professional. So I know for your listeners today, I've um, given them a freebie to my seven days to gut health mini series. 
So this is really for people that struggle with bloating, gas, changes in bowel habits. And what it is, is a seven-day course with a five-day menu. I know we just talked about menu plans, but it is really just kind of basic and to get you going in the right direction. And it kind of touches on different elements of gut health so that you can start to explore um, what your actual digestive problems are and what areas to focus on first. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, that's so generous of you and, and we're so appreciative. I know a lot of people are going to benefit from that offer. Um, one other thing I, for myself, I know with working with individuals, um, especially IBS, that they have been to doctor after doctor specialist and mm -hmm. they just can't get any answers, any mm -hmm. definite answers around why they're in so much pain and why they're struggling with their gut. They get to a point where they're like, I can't eat anything. Mm -hmm. So for that person, what would you say to them? Yeah. So ultimately what I like to do with those patients is assess everything they've done and really ask them, are you better, worse, or the same since starting this restrictive diet? Mm -hmm. A lot of my patients kind of look at me and they're like, huh, my symptoms are kind of the same. So if they are the same, then maybe we don't need to follow such a restrictive limiting diet. Right. In fact, food fears often are enough to drive that subconscious brain reaction, gut brain reaction. Yeah. If I am nervous that something has a ton of garlic in it, I tell you, my gut knows. Mm -hmm. um, your body is responding to any thoughts that you have and sending signals to your gut to often change digestion, change how you perceive digestion, and ultimately change your bowel habits. So um, working on those food fears with your dietitian or psychologist, uh, building body trust, and working on actually liberalizing your diet is something that we often do. Excellent advice. I absolutely love it. I named this podcast, Think Yourself Healthy, and that is a perfect example of... Um, how, how we can start doing that is start addressing the thoughts that we're having. I know I've had several clients where, you know, we've tried every dietary approach and they're still struggling and they're having these massive pains. And when we, you know, really dive in and look at lifestyle factors, um, we've been able to uncover that where they're having lunch, the environment and where in which they're eating their actual meal is a stressful environment because they've got that one coworker who comes in and complains the entire 30 minutes that that person is sitting there. And maybe that person is a super empathetic individual and they literally are feeling that person's pain while yeah. trying to consume their, their lunch. So ultimately, they're eliciting that stress response, which is shutting down their ability to digest that food efficiently, which is contributing to the pain. So I do a little, you know, test with them where we'll remove them from the environment and have them eat their lunch somewhere else where it's away from that specific coworker. And then miraculously, all of their issues that they were having dissolve. Improve. Yeah. And not having the pain. And so, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, fun little it's incredible hey and it's such an easy thing and that person is like oh my gosh i can still eat all the foods that i love i just have to draw boundaries around you know whom i'm having my lunch with so yeah absolutely yeah i think sometimes we look to food for the answers and in fact it's 
it's not food. I mean, that's what people want is the holy grail of health. And sure, nutrition is important, but like you said before, it's it's stress. It's our ability to cope with what life throws at us. It's our ability to set boundaries and analyze our thoughts and then change our behaviors based on that. So. Well, Andrea, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your time with us today and delivering these amazing messages. You are just an absolute wealth of knowledge. I love the way that you articulate the message. It's so easy to understand. And I know that the audience is gaining massive, massive value today by you sharing. Um, for everyone listening, I strongly encourage you to go and get the seven-day mini training to get your gut in a better place. Um, Andrea is an expert. She is, I mean, clearly, you know, just a, an expert, a, a wealth of knowledge. So do not miss out on that. And I will make sure that I link everything so everyone has easy access to get that information. Where can the audience find you? Yeah, so the best place to find me is on Instagram at Andrea Hardy RD. Uh, alternatively, they can hop over to our business website at ignitenutrition.ca. We have a ton of great resources, blog posts, everything you need to get your digestive issues sorted. Awesome. Well, guys, don't miss out. Make sure you hop over there and check out all of her amazing things. I know from a business perspective, I've utilized a lot of your courses that your team offers as a dietitian. Um, so that's a whole nother sector that you do. So for any dietitians out there listening, Andrea also has resources available for your professional career. Mm -hmm. as well. So don't miss out on those things. Yeah. Anything else you want to share? No, uh, just for dietitians, they can hop over to my website or they can go to nutritionacademy.co and I teach all of the digestive courses at Nutrition Academy. Awesome. So lots of stuff there something for everybody. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing what you do. You are helping to improve the world and improve gut health everywhere. So thank you for that. Thanks and for having me. A pleasure. I really, really can't thank you enough for taking time to be with us today. Great. Thanks, Heather. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. I'm so grateful that you stopped by. If you could just take a minute to share this episode with someone you think who would love it, it would be amazing. Take a screenshot that you've listened to the episode and tag at Think Yourself Healthy and myself at Nutrition Vixen so that I can share it. Leave a review on iTunes to let us know how much you loved being here and what you want to hear next. Until next time, don't forget to think yourself healthy. Thanks again, guys. Bye.